Well, greetings, church. Good morning. Good morning. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to James 1 today, and in a moment, we'll begin looking at verses 19 through 25. So James 1, 19 through 25. And as you turn in there, I have a question that you don't have to answer out loud, but what do you picture when I say the word soap? Now, some of you, depending on your age, you might have been blessed to see a bar of soap as a, a language training device. And so when I was younger, Life Boy was a great training device. For those of you younger, you're like, I can tell just how you're looking at me. You're like, you have no idea how powerful soap can be. And so when we would say words that our parents or grandparents did not approve, we would spend time holding that bar of soap in our mouth. And it was a great training tool. So soap was handy there. Obviously, it's good for germs and all those things that moms and grandmas worry about too. But for me, when I was studying and working in healthcare, soap was also a mnemonic to help us go through our charts on how to care for the patients that were present. And so the break down the four letters for you, then I'll give you an example. So the S was the subjective part. That's me listening to a patient in the ER and as they're presenting their symptoms. Uh, on this one given ca case that I had, I had a gentleman that was complaining of shortness of breath. He's like, it's just hard to breathe. I was like, all right, and I listened to all the other things he was lamenting about. Then we moved to the O, and that's the objective part. That's what I see, right? And so I actually took his vital signs. I was like, all right, his vital signs say that he's in pain and that he does have some difficulty breathing. And then a bunch of other things that I observed and wrote down. Now, there's a little code for the medical people. A lot of times you'll see on a chart they'll put WNL, which means within normal limits, or what it really stands for is we never look. And so that's always disheartening when you see on your chart too, right? But as we went through the chart and I started getting to the A for assessing the patient, that's where you use different diagnostic tools, maybe an x-ray, blood work, etc. It was at that point that I decided to actually listen to his heart. And as I put the stethoscope on his heart and I put my hand on his shoulder and looked over, I realized he had a butcher knife sticking in his back. And so you don't have to be a real smart person in healthcare to figure out the butcher knife in his back probably caused the difficulty breathing, right? And so I was able to come up with a plan. We actually needed to take this fella to surgery and get the knife removed. And so a soap note is a wonderful method to diagnose someone's physical body and to actually give you the ability to treat them and help them to get well. A soap note is also something we can do with God's Word today where we learn to hear God's Word and observe what God's Word's talking about specifically to us and how we can apply it and then we can actually get on that treatment plan by being doers of the Word of God. And so that's what we're going to learn today. But before we do that, did you realize there is a disease creeping around the local body of Christ today, specifically in this church and in churches everywhere across America and the world? Now, this disease is subtle. It creeps around, and if you don't pay attention, you'll miss it. It's subtle enough that it will even choke out communication between the head and the heart. It'll keep the heart from understanding what's going on in the mind. And then if it goes left untreated long enough, it will even impair the individual from getting that information from the head to the heart to the hands. Any guess what this disease is? It's called apathy. There is so much apathy in the church today of people who think, you know what? I think God's going to be really pleased that I actually checked off Sunday this month. You know, I was here, and so I'm pretty sure that he's going to be happy about that. And I read my Bible last month. Like, I actually opened it up and read a verse. And 
this becomes the standard of growing and thinking we're going to become closer to God. And so this apathy is actually choking us out, and we're not even aware of it. And so today, as I thought about that, I thought, you know, this isn't a new disease. This has been going on for a while. Consider an older author and theologian, A.W. Tozer. About 75 years ago, he wrote this as he observed a normal Sunday. So wide is the gulf that separates theory from practice in the church that an inquiring stranger who chances upon both would scarcely dream that there was any relation between them. An intelligent observer of our human scene who heard the Sunday morning sermon and later watched the Sunday afternoon conduct of those who heard it would conclude that he has been examining two distinct and contrary religions. Now, long before Tozer identified this, God inspired James to write this portion of scripture we're going to study this morning because even the early believers were struggling with apathy and being hearers of the word but not doers. So this is not a new thing. And I would say what I find encouraging is that the same treatment plan that's in God's word for the listeners of James is the same treatment plan we can apply for our very lives today. So if you find yourself discouraged that you're only a hearer of the word and not a doer, take heart and realize in a few moments I'm going to show you how you can be more than just a hearer of God's word, that you can actually be a doer as well. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we gather before you today with hearts eager to receive your wisdom and grace, Father, remind us of the importance of being quick to listen and slow to speak, understanding that in silence we often find the deepest revelations of your will. Let not anger cloud our judgment or lead us away from the righteousness you desire for us. And as we dive into your word, may we not be merely hearers, but active doers, embracing the truths you've shown us. And Father, cleanse our hearts from the distraction and impurities of this world and implant within us the seeds of your word. And as we look into the mirror of your scriptures, let us not forget our true reflections, but rather be transformed by your teachings, walking boldly in your ways. May we continuously seek the perfect law that gives freedom, holding on to its truths and applying them in our daily lives. Bless our gathering today, and Father, empower us to live out the principles we learn, always striving to reflect your love and righteousness in all we do. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church said, amen, church. All right. So, so far over the past couple of weeks, we've learned a couple things. One, in James 1, 1 through 12, David showed us a picture of what it's like to deal with trials. And every one of us, if we're not in a trial, we're going to go through a trial. So if you haven't heard that message, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's super helpful. And then last week, Mike shared on how to deal with temptation according to God's word with James 1, 13 through 19, or 13 through 18. But today, we're going to zoom in and we're going to get a di- just a deep dive on how to respond to Scripture, specifically how the Holy Spirit will lead us. And it's my prayer that we'll have ears to hear and a heart that's ready to obey how God's word leads us. So responding to scripture is our message. Verse 19 is where we'll start our time. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. 
For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, when I was younger, I was taught that the Bible is so deep that the greatest theologians could never dive and find the bottom, but that the Bible is also safe enough and shallow enough for a child to wade in and learn all kinds of wonderful treasures that are in store for him or her. The Bible is an amazing book, and the Bible is for us, but it's not about us. The Bible is all about Jesus Christ. And as we wade into our text today, I want you to consider four ways to respond to Scripture. The first thing I want you to notice is to respond to Scripture with a repentant heart. Respond to Scripture with a repentant or repentant spirit. My apologies. I should read my own notes. The first thing we want to do when we approach God's Word is to approach with a repentant spirit. Now, you may have thought once that you got saved, you were finished with repenting. But here's a newsflash. I've done a lot more repenting since I got saved than I ever did before I discovered who Jesus Christ was. Now, why is that? Why would we repent more after we actually get saved? Well, I think the answer is simple, right? One, we start to discover and learn who Jesus Christ is. We learn how holy he is. And the closer I get to God and the more I learn about him, the more I realize how filthy I am and how desperate I am need of a savior and so on my journey that's what i've discovered the closer you get to the cross the more we understand who jesus christ is the more we're going to be aware of our desperate condition and how desperately we need a savior and i know my story's not unique every follower of christ from the day they become a believer is going to find and learn that they're going to spend a lot of time repenting in their walk with the lord and in verse 19 James is talking with believers because he addresses them as beloved brothers. We also learn that we are to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, by show of hands, do I have any fellow gardeners here today? Anybody like to garden? All right. We got a few, right? Now, for those of us who garden, we also got to be careful we don't offend farmers, right? Every once in a while, you'll meet a farmer, and someone will be like, hey, when I retire, I'm going to be a farmer just like you. And the farmer kind of looks at him and says, I think you mean a gardener, right? Because farming is a full-time job, and it never ends. But gardening, if you're hardcore like me, you have a raised bed garden that's four by eight, and I can't even deal with that, right? Sometimes I'm choking on how to weed and keep that thing happy and healthy. But gardening, I've learned over time that if you actually provide nutrients for the soil, you create an environment where your plants can grow and thrive, right? And so these nutrients are called fertilizer. And there's a couple different types. I'll save you all the chemistry lessons today. But what's unique is that when you spend the time fertilizing the soil, you're going to yield bigger dividends on what you grow, whether it's bigger flowers or more productive fruit or vegetables, whatever it is. So it's worth the time to do the work on the soil. And so being quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger when practiced are going to provide a wonderful environment to create soil in your heart to receive the word of God. When a man starts listening more and talking less, it affects his temper. And he learns to control his heart. Because when his thought life is controlled, then his tongue is controlled. Then his temper is controlled. So thoughts, tongue, temper are the treatment. And they begin 
by being quick to hear and slow to speak. Now, somebody once well said that it's better to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. I'd agree, right? I think that quote's not that original, though, because if you look at Psalm 141, verse 3, the psalmist said the same thing, right? Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Of course, we could pick on Peter in the Bible all day long, right? He definitely suffered from foot and mouth disease. But the idea is that we should be slow to speak and quick to listen, right? So the psalm helps us with two of the three of the fertilizers for the heart. But what about slow to anger? Now, how are you going to deal with anger? First, you'd better start treating it for what it is. Anger is a sin. And I'm not talking about the kind of anger that we should be upset about, because there's plenty of things that should drive us and make us angry in this world, right? When we see little children being trafficked, etc., etc., there should be some things that set us on fire and be angry. But we don't want that anger to control us in such a way that it develops bitterness in our heart and actually impacts our walk with God. So we have to be very careful on what we're angry about. And according to Ephesians 4, we don't want the sun to go down on that anger. We need to deal with it. But that's not what this passage is talking about. This passage is talking about anger that does not lead to righteousness, okay? And so the first thing we want to do is to recognize it as sin. There's some things, like I said, that should make you angry, but that's not what we're talking about. Now, you might be surprised that there are some people who are proud of their tempers today. Some of them will claim their family heritage. We have red hair in our family, and you know redheads are supposed to be angry people, so that's just what it is. And yet, we know that's not true, right? There's some lovely people with red hair that are not angry all the time. And then someone might even blame it on a dad and say, well, my dad was an angry man, and that's why I'm angry. Like, that's a badge of courage and a badge of honor. You're like, hey, my dad was a mad person, so I'll be mad too. Some of them will go as far as to say, I'm only angry for a little bit, so what's the big deal? I'll tell you what the big deal is. I've gone into places where I've seen a shotgun go off very quickly for just a few moments, and it does a lot of damage in a few seconds, and you have a lot of things to clean up afterwards. Anger is very similar to that loaded weapon. Anger can damage and destroy lives, not only your own, but those around you, the people that love you the most. Anger is definitely something you want to deal with, and you want to deal with it quickly. And if you want to see what someone is made of, you want to see what spills out of them when they're shaken, then watch how they react to a situation. If they're full of anger, when shaken, anger will spill out. If they're full of Jesus, Jesus will spill out. Note, you cannot judge a person by his actions because he can plan his actions. You watch his reaction to things, things that he has not planned, and you'll know what a person is full of. Imagine for a minute men, and there's a lot of different men in different stages of life in here. What would it look like in your own sphere of influence if you allowed God to deal with your anger problem? Now, statistically, in counseling, they tell us that men and women, the number one thing they deal with is anger. Men maybe just a smidge more. But the number one thing that the church is hurting from today is anger. And so men, I address you first. What would it look like 
if instead of being this angry man that inherited this anger and you're just going to drive on, what would it look like if you created an environment in your home, in your school, in your workplace, where you were calm, where you were quick to listen and slow to speak? What would it look like if you're married and instead of rushing in and, and just going ballistic on a spouse or your children, that you actually were quick to listen and you loved them and you listened to them and you cared for them? I think men, we have a huge responsibility to model this for our families, for our friends, and for the people we work with. God's called us to a higher standard, and I know that it can be challenging and ladies, I know you're not exempt from this, right? There's plenty of things that the, the ladies today are angry about in the church. But if you're not careful, you can let that anger destroy you. And again, we tend to lash out on the people that we love the most. And so my challenge to you as your pastor is to think about this anger problem and address it as a sin problem and ask God to help you deal with it so that it won't destroy lives. When I do weddings, I address this by using the word long-suffering. Long-suffering actually means a long fuse. Having dealt with explosives, I can tell you having a long fuse gives you time to clip that time fuse before it actually explodes. Because once it goes off, the damage is done. Now you're, you're dealing in a different role, right? It's called cleanup. So anger is a big deal. It's a big deal. And the only way, ladies and gentlemen, that you can deal with it is to have a heart full of the Holy Spirit. Now, I will give you one practical tip that my wife and I have applied in our own marriage that may be helpful for you. Some of you are wired differently, and so when I come home, if it's been a long day, my wife knows I don't have a lot of gas left in the tank sometimes. And so I'm tired, and she knows I like to be in bed by 10. And at 10 o'clock at night, that's probably not the best time to start that three-hour conversation with the classic phrase, we need to talk, Right? She knows that, but here's what I owe my wife if she does initiate a conversation because it's that important. I need to give her a time when we will discuss it in the next 24 hours. That lets my wife know that she's been heard. It also lets her set the environment up for a win because she knows, hey, if I say, hey, right after dinner or right before dinner tomorrow, well, let's, let's go for this and let's, let's talk about it. She's validated. She's heard. That gives me time to mentally prepare and and be all in to be quick to listen, right, and slow to speak, and to hear my bride's heart. And so, not saying it's the perfect rule, but I will tell you it's helped us a lot, and so I pray that it's something that will help you too. So when you listen more, and when you talk less, you're going to find out that the Spirit is more in control. Look at this, or listen to this poem by an unknown author. I thought it was pretty uh, cool about words. A careless word may kindle strife. A cruel word may wreck a life. A bitter word may hate and still. A brutal word may smite and kill. A gracious word may smooth the way. A joyous word may light the day. A timely word may lessen stress. And a loving word may heal and bless. All this is possible because we have been born again. It's all possible because and through Jesus Christ. So now that we've got a little fertilizer in the soil... It's time to take the second step, and that is to receive the word with a receptive spirit. Receive the word with a receptive spirit. Look at verse 21. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. 
Now, before we receive the word, we need to do a little weeding in the garden of our heart, right? You prepare the soil, and to be honest, I would actually do the weeding first before I actually add all the other nutrients, but sticking with the flow of the word of God here, we definitely need to do a little weeding. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness is what they say. Now, what's interesting is in the Greek language, this word filthiness is earwax. How fitting to dig out the earwax so that spiritually we can hear the word of God. Someone says, let all filthiness be put away. It's saying, like, clean your ears out so you can hear the word of God. Now, of course, when you get to rampant wickedness, the sky's the limit, right? Whatever God addresses with you, that is what you need to deal with. God may list this, and then it's time to deal with that, right? But we're to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. And one of the best ways to go about this cleaning is to pray the word of God. Psalm 139, verse 23 through 24 is a wonderful place to start. It says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. Now, my confession to you, ever since I've been praying this prayer, and usually I have in some of my Bibles courage by those two verses, because it takes courage to pray and ask God to search your heart. You know why? Because God's really good at showing you what's in your heart. And sometimes it's not a pleasant experience at all. Sometimes he's going to reveal things that you need to take action on. And that's where he's going to move you from being a hearer of the word to a doer of the word. And again, it's for your good. Now, when our son was born, we had a five-generation photo. On my dad's side, a bunch of ranchers. And so my great-grandfather was called Hanky Boy. I have no idea why, but we called him Hanky Boy, and so that's what he was called. And he was a horse trader and definitely hardcore rancher. And when he was a little boy, eight and nine years old, him and other eight and nine-year-old boys would move sheep from Montana to Wyoming. No adults, and they would be gone for three months. Imagine eight and nine-year-olds today if you cut them loose and say, we'll see you in three months, son. Right? Almost comical, but that's the way of life back then. And then he started making his money selling and trading horses and such and uh, I remember him and my grandfather one time saying that when you can take a wild horse and you can break it in such a way where you can put a saddle upon it and ride it, that's called that that horse has been made meek. And this word meek means to be teachable. So now this horse, this very powerful thing that we're going to learn about later in James with a bridle, right now we're learning that meekness is a controlled horse. Right? It's this ideal that you're teachable, and that's where God needs us to be. And we, if we don't approach the Word of God with a teachable spirit, we will not understand Scripture at all. There are two words for receive in Greek. The first one is where you reach out and you gain something, right? You actually take it from somebody. They're offering you take it. So that's one picture, but that's not what they're using in our text today. They're using a different word that means that you accept something with both hands or you welcome it. It's a gift. And so that's what the Word of God is telling us when we receive the Word today. Some of you may have gone on mission trips, and there are a lot of different cultures around the world. Now, in a lot of cultures, I've learned that if you offer somebody or someone offers you something, as, and they're the host, you always stick out both hands to receive it. If you stick out one hand, that's rude because you're taking it from them. But if you put both hands out, you're receiving it as a gift. And even a bow of the head in some cultures is very appropriate. You're letting them know that you're respectfully receiving what they're giving to you, right? 
And so this is something that we want to think about when we come to the Word of God. We want to receive what the Lord is teaching. We want to receive all that He has to offer. We don't just flippantly turn the page and go, yeah, I'll read that verse. All right, I'm good. Let's go. That's not how we approach the Word of God. We approach the Word of God with a serious heart, one that wants to know more about Him. Now, I've learned that some people come to the Bible and they love learning all the facts. Yet, a library full of facts will still not change your heart or help you know who God is any more than if you didn't acquire any of them at all. Now, something I was thinking about as I was thinking about this local congregation in both services and during the week is this. What would it look like for the younger generation in this church to actually hold up the Word of God and to tremble at it? What would it look like for the young adults in this church to tremble at God's word. When the world is screaming at you to be like it, to follow me on social media, to do this, to do that, to go to these places, do all these things to be cool, and instead you decide to tremble at the word of God and obey what God has said to do. I wonder what it would look like if the young adults would take that torch and carry it high. What would it look like if more seasoned adults honored the word of God, and lived it out in their daily life. I think it would make a huge difference, not only in this church, but in this community, and it could spread to the world. We have on the wall out there one of my favorite passages of all time from Matthew 22, to love God and to love others, right? Jesus, the creator of the universe, summarized the whole known Bible at the time with those two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like everything depends upon that. If we could be a people who would tremble at God's word and strive to live out loving God with all our heart and love our neighbor like ourself, that'd be a pretty cool church to be a part of. All right, we've seen a repentant spirit and we've seen a receptive spirit. Leads us to our third step. Receive the word with a responsive spirit. Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. This is the theme verse for all of James here. Here God is saying that if you do not respond to what God shows you, that you are self-deceived. It's one thing to be deceived by another person, but to be self-deceived is a no, just a whole other level of hurt, right? Where you actually are deceiving your own self. And that's why we want to be in biblical community. You want to have brothers linking arms with brothers and calling each other out and saying, Man, you're not right. You're not living for the Lord there, brother. And I say this because I love you. Same with ladies, to have battle buddies to say, I don't think that's how God wants you to live. That's one of the ways you can prevent from being self-deceived. Now, over the years, I have learned in bucketfuls that followers of Christ are always looking for some secret sauce or shortcut in knowing God. And this quest reminds me of a memorable line from probably the most groundbreaking work and film you've ever seen called Kung Fu Panda. Now, Kung Fu Panda, there's a scene where the son, who's a panda, goes to his dad, who's a goose, and he asks him what the secret sauce is for the noodle soup. You with me so far? All right. I know it's complicated. It's groundbreaking. And the dad leans in, and he says, the secret to the noodle soup is there's no secret. There's no secret ingredient. And, of course, the movie from there just goes downhill, right? He's like, 
He's distraught. He's like, oh my goodness, I've been working so hard to know what this secret ingredient is. But here's the deal. There is a secret to living out verse 22, and it's this. The way to understand the part of the Bible that you don't understand is to obey the part you do understand. It's pretty simple, but I'll say it again. The way to understand the part of the Bible that you don't understand is to obey the part that you do understand. Read a lot of Mark Twain when I was growing up. I like how he clarifies this statement. It's not the stuff in the Bible that I understand that bothers me. It's the stuff, or I'm sorry, it's not the stuff in the Bible that I don't understand that bothers me. It's the stuff that I do. I bet a lot of us have enough knowledge of God and what he expects that we're just trying to figure that part out, right? I'll tell you, as your pastor, I'm not every night on my knees saying, show me more things where I can learn to obey you in. I'm like, help me to obey you in what you've revealed. That's where I need help, Father, right? I've also learned this. The study of the Bible will give you knowledge about God. That's, that's nice. But obedience gives you knowledge of God, and there is a difference. To please God, we must not only listen to his word, but also put it in practice. It's easy to say. It's a lot harder to do. The problem is that many of us are not listening. Think of Psalm 46, verse 10. What does it say in the very beginning? It says, be still and know that I am God. I would say that is one of the hardest things for people to do today, to be still. And what some would call being still they're still populating their world around them with noise, right? They still got to have music going on. They got to have a TV on. They got to have this. They got to have that. So they have all these distractions instead of being still and just listening, reading God's word and having a receptive heart. I also know this. The world and the word are competing for your attention. Now, the word of God is going to whisper to you, right? The word of God is going to let you know that God is faithful and just and that his steadfast love endures forever. Like You're going to see these promises in Scripture. You're going to learn that he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from what? All unrighteousness. Like these are the things the word of God is going to whisper to you. He wants you to know. But the world is going to scream at you that you need to do this, this, and this. And once you do this, this, and this, you'll realize that's obsolete. You need to do this, this, and this. And on it goes. I remember showing a video years ago in a youth ministry setting, and it was a video about a 12-year-old girl who was so distraught because she's trying to be pretty. She's a lovely young lady. She's 12. But she was brokenhearted because every time she tried to fit the world's mold of what pretty was, it would change. And she was already at 12 suffering from body image issues and lots of other things. And it was heartbreaking. But it's a true story for boys and girls of all ages today, right? You don't have to be just a little kid to be chasing the world and to be accepted by the world. But I'm here to tell you, if you're a child of God, it's not what you're called to do. You're called to actually stand out. I didn't share in the first service, but I may dabble in Petra, the old Christian rock group from the 80s and 90s. But there was a phrase in one of the songs that really helped me as a young man. It said this. It said, some may call me foolish. And some may call me odd, but I'd rather be a fool in the eyes of man than a fool in the eyes of God. So here's the challenge for you. The next time you read God's word and it says to do something, go out and do it. And stand by to see how the Bible will come alive for you.
For many years, I've done ministry with a buddy of mine named Greg Steer from Dare to Share. And one of the things that he was a big fan of is he said, I don't believe youth today need any more knowledge about God. What youth need is more experiences in seeing God at work. Now, I took him up on that. I thought, that's brilliant, because I do believe a lot of the kids growing up in church have a lot of great knowledge about God, but have they seen him at work? So years ago, I took a bunch of junior high kids to Southeast D.C. where we did foot washing. And I'll never forget this little girl. She's 12. 12 12-year-old girl, and she's washing the feet of a guy that just got out of prison for almost 30 years. She is sharing Christ with this man like a bold little lion. And this man is bawling his eyes out. He's weeping. He can't understand what kind of love could drive a child like that to care for someone like him. And that day, that 12-year-old girl got to see a dead man go from death to life. She got to see this guy change his whole worldview because she cared enough to initiate a foot washing and tell him about Jesus. That's what I mean by seeing and giving youth experiences, seeing God at work. Because in her mind, she realized she had no power. She did nothing. Only God can do that to a heart. And let me take that pressure from you. None of us save people. None of us. Only God does the saving. I find a great relief in that. Because when I was younger, I put way too much responsibility on my own shoulders. But I realized, wow, I don't save anybody. It's God's job. I've learned to stay in my own pay grade. And I encourage you to do the same. So by being a doer, you'll discover there is a world of difference. It's the difference between reading a menu and sitting down and enjoying an actual meal off of that menu. No comparison. Now, one of the things I will challenge you to do as people in this church is to join a church group. And we have a QR code, and you are more than welcome to bust out your phones and actually scan it. But one of the things that we've learned as pastors is that We need biblical community. We need men and women to gather around us to encourage us because last time I checked, this world is hard. We go through a lot of hard stuff, and it's a lot harder to do it by yourself. But when you link arms with other men and women and you realize they're just as messed up as you, I'm looking at some of my misfits from my church group, right? We look around at each other and we're like, you know what? This is doable because, like, you can do it, right? You know, and so they're looking at me like, well, clearly this is doable because you can do it, Todd. And we encourage one another. And I would say the same thing that I've emphasized for years here, when I ask you to look to your left and right, I don't mean that flippantly. I want you to look around and see men and women in this church and realize they're just as messed up as you. You should take great comfort in that. We don't have to pretend to have it all figured out. I find great comfort in that as well. But the church group is one of those ways where you can show that obedience because to live out these one another's, they're really hard to do by yourself. But if you're in a church group, you can actually practice living out these one another's. And so definitely, whether you scan this or go to the Connect Room, get involved in a church group. Because if you're not in one, I promise you, you're missing out. All right, fourth and final step. Receive the word with a reflective spirit. Last three verses. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So James is saying that the Bible's like a mirror. And the Bible's amazing, right? 
We read all sorts of books, but did you realize the Bible is the only book that reads us? It's true. Throughout the Bible, there's many figures of speech to describe it. Jeremiah calls the Bible a hammer. David calls it a lamp. Moses referred to it as bread. And then the author of Hebrews calls it a sword. Jesus refers to it as seed. And here in James, he refers to it as a mirror. Now, here's another brutal reality. Mirrors don't lie, do they? They're rough, aren't they? I mean, over time, they speak the truth rather harshly. Uh, sometimes I wonder why I can't take a better picture, and then I slide in front of a mirror, and I realize why. The evidence is clear. The mirror shows us who we are. James describes two people with two different experiences when they stand in front of a mirror. The first one is a casual glance. We'll call him Mr. Forgetful. This man takes a casual glance in the mirror. He doesn't take time to take an honest look. What little he does see is forgotten, and as soon he walks away. Now, a lot of you wives might be lamenting today and saying, that's my husband right there. Like He gazes in the mirror, and off he goes. And there's all these things I need to correct on him before he heads out the door, right? Any husbands uh, acknowledge this in here? Am I just putting myself on report by myself? All right, three of you. All right, so we'll meet afterwards. But here's the deal. That same approach with the mirror is probably describing at least 90% in the church on how they study the Bible. Open it up, they're like, mystery method. They're like, all right, there's a verse. I read it like, huh. Lunchtime, they have no clue what they read. Uh, really no application in their life. They're not soaking it in. They're not memorizing it. They're not using it. And it has no impact in their world because they really just glanced at it and they moved on. Now, the Bible is filled with treasure, but I've learned that you need to dig for this treasure and go looking for it. Seldom is that treasure on the surface. And again, there's no secret sauce here. It takes time. It takes sweat equity. Now look at our second fellow here, a careful gaze. We'll call him Mr. Faithful. Here we have another man who looks into the perfect law. This word look means to stoop over, to look at something very carefully. Now, my wife and I have been privileged to have three grown children. We've seen them grow up and marry. Now we have five grandchildren. And I love seeing the world through their little eyes. How many of you have been with a child and you go into a big department store, like a Walmart Target, and immediately they see balloons? Like they can spot a balloon anywhere in the ceiling, right? They just have like this radar. They're like, there's a balloon. They see things that we don't see, right? They see things that are low down the ground because a lot of us got back and neck and knee issues, right? And so to get down there to see those things, and I do it out of love, but I'll tell you what, I'm a hurting grandpa when I get up from them little ones. But I'm crawling around with them and trying to see what they see. But as I was thinking about how observant kids are, I couldn't help but remember when our son, who was the oldest, at three, we cut him loose, and like he had his own good night prayer. And clearly, this young man didn't want to go to bed because well after an hour of praying, he was still covering creation and getting after it. But I remember how he closed it. It reminded me that your children and your grandchildren watch you. As he finished his list and he finally landed this prayer, he said, Thank you, God, for trees and grass, cops, and Chris Ledoux. Amen. Now, Chris Ledoux is an old country Bronco singer, sings out the back of a truck, so... I realize a lot of you aren't as cultured as me. And so, but I also realized my son was paying attention to what his dad was paying attention to, right? As I was celebrating things in creation, that was caught. As I talked about some of my friends in law enforcement, that was caught, right? 
as I talked about Chris Ledoux. Apparently that was caught too. On and on it goes. But we should be investigative like these children, right? We should be so observant to soak in the world around us and to see these little things and to celebrate them. And it's so important. And that's what this word look, to look into means, to stoop over and pay careful attention. So this careful gaze can present some powerful results. But I want to put a disclaimer out there. As you do a careful gaze into God's word, it can also produce some painful results. Like I alluded to earlier, when you spend time in God's word, God is very faithful in revealing areas that you need to work on yourself. And I would challenge you, like do the big yellow marker around your own chair when you're studying God's word. Sometimes when we're reading God's word, we're like, oh man, I know who needs to hear this. And like, you're like, that's a fatal error, right? Like if you're married, like don't go beeline your spouse, show them the verse that you think God's speaking to them, right? This is time between you and the Lord. Let him work on your own heart, right? And then let that disperse to your family. I think that's a lot wiser. All right. So as you're exploring God's word, and if you are approaching your search in meekness, most likely the Lord will show you an area you need to work on or obey him in. And earlier I mentioned in, that James is writing to the followers of Christ. If you're here today exploring Christianity, I have some great news for you. You see, this Bible is all about a relationship. Now, when I was in the military, all those years of travel, my wife, before email and all these other wonderful inventions came along, she would number letters and send them to me. And she even had code language because sometimes you'd get people reading your mail, right? So we had our own code language. So you could open up our mail. You wouldn't know what my girl's saying because I'm the one with the relationship with her. And so I would comb over those words. I'd spend time in them. And we even had our numbering system. So I would do my best not to open letter number eight because I didn't get the first seven. And every once in a while, I'd break that rule, and number eight would say, the cast comes off today. And I'm like, what cast? I don't know what's going on. But here's the deal. We had a relationship, and it was a love letter. If you're reading the Bible today to get information and facts, and it just seems dead to you, a couple things be going on. One, you maybe just don't have the tools you are a believer, but you don't know where to start, and you need to take an inductive Bible study class or other classes that we offer here so you can learn the Word of God. Or another very real example would be that you don't have a relationship with God, and that's why I'm here. I have the best job in the world. I get to tell people how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it very clear that God created you to be with Him. Right there should just blow your mind, right? Like the same God who breathes out those stars wants to know you have a relationship with you. That's staggering. But then the Bible makes it clear that our sin separates us from God. Every one of us shake our fist at God, don't we? We think we know better. I mean, we would all agree, like, it'd be crazy for a two-year-old to disagree with me and say they know better. You'd be like, wow, that two-year-old doesn't know what they're doing. And yet, the very same breath, we could all walk out of here, be presented with something from God's Word, and shake our fist and go, I know better. I know better, creator of the universe. I know you created the foundations of the earth, but I think I have a little more knowledge than you. That's what we're doing. Call it what it is, right? It's a sinful attitude. We're shaking our fist at God. So we need that relationship. We recognize God wants us to have it. Our sin separates us from him. And then the Bible, just one more big punch, says that you can't earn your way there. We struggle with that in the West, don't we? We think we've been taught from day one, if you do something, you get something. But that's not the gospel. Instead, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place and in mine. He's buried. 
Three days later, he rose from the grave to show that he has power over death. We don't have to fear death. It's simply the next place we're going, right? We're going to die, and then we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. And for followers of Christ, Philippians 1.21 says, to live as Christ and to die as what? Gain. It'll be better. Better home, better fellowship, better inheritance. My goodness, it will be better. And here's the best news of all about the gospel. Everyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they can have eternal life and they can begin today. Everyone. Let that sink in. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've gone, everyone can have that relationship with Jesus Christ. The question is, will you receive it or reject it? As we close, I realize what I've covered are things that are very simple. But I've also learned that simple things can be quite profound and pretty challenging to live out. So method, like we talked about earlier for healthcare workers, and my role as a PA and doing all those things in the ER to get skills so I could take care of guys in the combat world, uh, it was an excellent device to assess and treat a patient. And to be doers and hearers of God's word is an awesome way to assess and treat your own soul. So as you commit to spending time in the Word this week, make sure your heart is clean and weed the garden out so that nothing chokes out what God wants to give you. So be repentant. Always check your heart before the Lord. And then in prayer, ask God to teach you from His Word and to give you the ability to obey it. Be receptive. Then take the precious truth you've learned and be responsive to the Holy Spirit and His guidance. And then finally, as you chew on God's Word and you meditate upon it, have a reflective spirit, one that will allow you to get everything that God is trying to teach you and offer you so that you can be a doer of the Word of God. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to move us into a time of prayer, and then I'll close us in prayer, and we'll worship. But it's simply as this as your prayer prompt. How will you obey God going forward? How will you do it? Then I want you to write it down and then live it out. So spend a moment in prayer just between you and the Lord, thinking about this question, and then I'll close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we conclude our time together, we thank you for the wisdom of your word, so beautifully laid out in the book of James. Father, guide us to be individuals quick to listen, always seeking understanding before reacting. Would you tame our tongues, Lord, and guard our hearts from the hastiness of anger? And Father, even as we depart, remind us not to be mere listeners, easily forgetting the divine truths we've encountered. Instead, empower us to be doers of the word, living out the lessons we've embraced today. May we continuously reflect upon your teachings like the one who sees their true self in a mirror, recognizing our identity in you and never turning away. And in our daily walk, may we be anchored by your perfect law, finding freedom and purpose in your truths. 
Grant us the strengths and determination to put into practice what we have learned, that we might be a beacon of your love and righteousness in our communities. And as we journey forward, may you bless our paths, guide our steps, and let your word be a lamp unto our feet. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray this. And the church said, 